0: Security practitioners are so busy firefighting, they're trying to put out the fires that spout up in in front of them. But what are those key areas that are most important to protect those fires that are next to the fuel cells that will explode?
1: Welcome to the Building Cyber Resilience podcast by Resilience. I'm Dr. Ann Irvin, Chief Data Scientist and Vice President of Product Management.
2: And I'm Richard Syerson, Chief Risk Officer. That was Travis Wong, our VP of Customer Engagement here at Resilience, opening the show.
0: Uh, My background is in insurance, as well as cybersecurity and cyber risk management. Uh, So I've been operating as a risk control consultant for roughly 15 years, but I've specialized in the cybersecurity space and cyber risk in particular for the the better part of that period of time.
2: Travis's expertise underlines not only why cyber insurance matters, but why a shift in how we view insurance matters. It needs to be a business objective.
0: Cyber resilience is helping our clients uh, become more cyber resilient by helping them understand their risk, uh, mitigate their risk, transfer their risk. I mean, it's those material losses that are, are key, right? You can't be everything to everyone, and you can't prevent all uh, incidents from occurring. But identifying what is material to your organization, whether it be reputational harm, um, business disruption, privacy exposure, it's part of that value at risk. System.
1: Travis will delve into what this shift in perspective means for cybersecurity strategies during this conversation. But it's Taz Jalali, head of cybersecurity at AC Transit, cybersecurity leader and Fortune 500 consultant, that outlines some real examples for us.
3: Uh, I go by Taz. So in order, if you want to remember, you go with Taz Jalali, you so you'll remember my name. My background is in cybersecurity, information security. That's what I went to school for. I started my first gig, actually, in early 2000 in Texas. Those days, you have a typical fax that goes with a phone line. So we were trying to build something or internet, you know, protocol like IP. But uh, I quickly realized that the project needed to be secured and protected. So that's where I got started with my hands on a rise right early on into cybersecurity.
1: You might call Taz an OG security leader building the initial offshore software development center for McAfee back in the early 2000s, and going on to work with the likes of Qualys, Tenable, and PGP. Four years ago, when he was hired by EC Transit, the agency was hit by an attack just two weeks into his leadership.
3: When I came on board, I had to build a cybersecurity practice, but the first thing I did is to fight the battle (laughs) with the bad guys. We'll hear all about that battle
2: and its ensuing challenges in this episode as we explore operational security, or SecOps. SecOps involves the investing in, deploying, and managing of security controls. When those efforts tie to a bonafide security strategy, we call them tactics. But without a strategy, SecOps efforts or tactics are at best compliance processes, or at worst, security theater. So what makes a security strategy meaningful? A business objective.
1: The objective we are proposing for the industry is this making the business resilient to material losses. That objective drives goals, strategy, and tactics. It's how a company's executives, board, and security practitioners can create a business that is cyber resilient by design. To truly understand why a business objective matters, you have to first see the business and its security from a holistic perspective. Travis Wong explains.
0: Cyber resilience is an operational strategy, right? It's not specifically within the cybersecurity realm, but more so it's how we connect the finance risk and uh, security or infosec disciplines all together to work holistically uh, to help our clients better manage uh, their risk. Because cyber risk is a holistic kind of problem. it's a, It spans across an entire organization, not just within one of these uh, functions or one of these silos. Uh, so what we really try to do is craft a conversation through our relationship with our uh, clients. So we start by helping them understand their value at risk. Uh, what are those key resources that are at stake or that you have to lose? What keeps you up at night? Uh, in a worst case scenario, what is that scenario? What happens? So understanding what you have to lose and then the likelihood of you losing that based on uh, your current uh, controls and your and your current posture is kind of where we start at that uh, value at risk and then uh, once you have that value at risk baseline um, then you can move to assess uh, how well you are at uh, or how good you are uh, from a positioning perspective at defending against that uh, kind of uh, loss scenario and one of the the really important things for especially our security practitioners in, in the audience to, to highlight is it's critical that you're able to communicate your findings in a meaningful way uh, to non InfoSec professionals, uh, so to your finance, to your business leaders, to your board. So once you've done your assessment, or as you're going through the assessment process, the reporting uh, piece of it is, is incredibly important um, in order to make sure that whatever information you're trying to convey is uh, understood in in a meaningful way. So um, we start at value at risk, we assess current state, um, and then we educate, right? So educate our board members, educate our finance folks, our operations folks kind of merge all of these different uh, operational units or perhaps uh, silos in in some cases or parallel efforts uh, to make sure everyone's speaking the same language so that uh, whatever your conclusion might be uh, evokes the, the same response
1: this approach to measuring your risk and what your business has to lose allows you to see where the weak points are in your controls this has resonated across clients in various industries like manufacturing and healthcare public entities oil and gas and of varying sizes from organizations with under $100 million in annual revenue, up to several billion.
0: So these concepts that are talking about, cyber resilience, um, aren't limited to a certain subset necessarily of of clients or a subset of operations. It's really a new philosophical way of operating in that your finance, your risk, and your security folks are working together, uh, taking a look at cyber risk and analyzing it as a holistic organizational risk rather than just it a technology risk or just a quote-unquote IT risk. So what we've tried to do is, again, take a step back and say, let's not focus so much on controls, but what you have to lose first. And then you can understand what kind of controls you should implement based on that value of risk, based on what you have to lose and what is critical to protect. So it's moving away from a controls-based, let's throw everything at the wall uh, approach, and instead being strategic about tactical controls or initiatives we're a technology company first, and so it's through our technology that we're able to scale, create repeatable processes, um, and it's through our fantastic AI-powered data analytics models that we're able to derive a lot of these results. We really feel that it's important to take uh, what we have from a, an AI-powered model's perspective, um, make sure that that is meaningfully integrated with our insurance policy, Um, We also have a human-in-the-loop partnership aspect to what we're doing. Uh, So having people work with our clients, work with the technology to help contextualize uh, the results to make them meaningful and actionable for them, specifically as an organization, is incredibly important and meaningful to our clients.
2: I like to explain the benefit of taking a value-at-risk versus controls-first approach with a bit of a history lesson. We can learn a lot from this lesson when it comes to approaching threats to our security. For Taz, when he began his role at AC Transit, he was jumping right into battle. But instead of World War II bombers, he was dealing with buses.
3: I was hired by AC Transit to build this security practice about four years back, and there was none in place. So when I got in, I quickly realized, I think at the second week, that the district, the transit agency, was under ATO, account takeover attack and we're having emails going left and right with thousands of emails being sent. Uh, it was just one email, one person, and got compromised, right? Clicked on the link, got compromised, credential. Now that person is sending emails across the district and infecting other people because other people are also clicking on the link and putting the credentials and get compromised. And it grew pretty fast because it was not only us now infected, it was also our partners. And our partners include private vendors and value resellers, but also the government agencies. We work with the Department of Homeland Security, FBI, NICRIC, CISA. So of course, you know, our whole thing was compromised by its transit, but also we're putting our partners at risk. So we had to really do something really rapid and quick to really contain it. So I remember we were up all night trying to contain the attack, but that was my kind of first experience.
2: AC Transit serves over 150,000 passengers per day across California's Alameda and Contra Costa counties, which includes cities like San Francisco, Oakland, Fremont, and San Leandro. But Taz says it isn't the 700 buses he serves that keeps him up at night, it's the data.
3: What's really concerning is, uh, like we had in the previous attack, which took about a one year to remediate, because it's not just containing the attack, it's the post-incident, follow up with the legal notifications, <laughs> engaging the call centers, engaging the lawyers, the proper regulators. I mean, it's a lot of stuff and the media, everything. But w- what's most concerning is that we have PI data, thousands of employees. And like any public agency, a lot of things were done with the legacy technologies or paper. So that's very concerning because once the PI data is out in the hands of the bad guy, it's really difficult to retrieve because it's going to get everywhere in the dark. web. There's not really much at that point we can do to control it. With the operations, yes, like one or two bus or five bus can stop. I mean, of course, it's inconvenience, uh, but then that's something we can fix, right? Other thing which is really, which really kicked you out, I mean, is the threat of some bad guy taking over the bus because all these buses are connected to the internet and their onboard diagnostics, OBDs, their controls, live in that, you know, technology and the internet. And if that is compromised, disrupting an operation or putting the lives of the people on the bus at risk is definitely another concern I have.
1: These scenarios occurred before and just as Taz was joining the company, but he still had to manage the fallout and consequences. Luckily, his predecessors had invested in cyber insurance, but as his time there increased, he was faced with quadrupling deductibles and premiums. As he was going through the renewal process, he saw how buttoned up his team and their security strategy and controls needed to be in order to even secure quality insurance. This process helped him identify which cyber insurance companies were worth a partnership.
3: I had to play a critical role. So there was a pretty in-depth security questionnaire that I had to complete, uh, asking different technical questions, starting with some basic like, do you have MFA, do you have firewalls, do you have endpoint security? to more in-depth, like what are the processes and the policies and the strategies to mitigate have incident response and how active you are in engaging in them. So I was pretty heavily involved in renewal of the insurance and I am uh, still, but the point I was trying to make, it is becoming very difficult for companies to secure and procure insurance unless they're really on top of the game, right? They are making sure they have the proper controls, proper security processes, the procedures, and guideline in place, uh, else it would be very difficult to secure one.
1: Initially, he admits that he thought that the premiums and deductibles were very high, perhaps too high. But as AC Transit navigated the fallout of the attacks, he saw that the money they were investing in cyber insurance was worth it.
3: The reason I felt it's high is AC Transit had pretty strong controls in place. So there was no need. But I quickly realized that was not the case. And I also quickly realized when the cost escalated to, you know, close a million dollars by the end of the year, the premiums and the deductibles were pretty low. That's why I felt like, you know, these insurance companies realized pretty quick that we need to be more, more proactive, otherwise they're gonna end up in loss.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, these situations that keep you up at night, do you think is insurance actually going to help you out of some of those worst case scenarios or?
3: Oh, yeah. I spoke at this government, uh, GFOA, this is the agency of all the accounting agencies in the United States. I really put a lot of emphasis on procuring and having cybersecurity insurance in place. It's just that we may think the cost is high. I'm paying like maybe a quarter million up front. But then I'll be saying, mean, millions of dollars in case there is an incident. And that is also force everybody at each chance to think that we need to really put more measures and more controls in place to secure our environment. Because in case there's another breach, definitely the premiums and the deductibles are going to go up significantly. I think it's very important for people to understand the importance and the necessity of cyber insurance. Uh, because a lot of people think like, "Oh, you know what? I got a ransomware. Maybe I can just shut the computer, just backup, restore, clean up." But I guess that's very clear from recent incident at MGM. Well, Caesar they ended up paying ten million dollars, like, and and MGM had operations stopped for like ten days. That probably cost them millions of dollars, right? And obviously, it would be good to have cyber insurance place in such case as well.
2: That point Taz made about investing in insurance, also motivating his team to really double down on the controls and strategy they had in place. This is key. When you make an investment, you're not only looking out for your future business, you're reinforcing how strong your current business is.
3: The strategy has always been to see how we can, of course, align. There's always kind of a balance between putting controls and security in place versus making lives of people easier. Nobody in any organization likes security guys because you ask them to put the password, ask them to put the MFA. Like the first reaction when I came on board is when we tried to enforce MFA is like, we are not NSA. We're not Department of Defense. We don't really need this kind of security. But, you know, we, we must understand the bad guys are not looking for Department of Defense. They're looking for the low hanging fruits. They're looking for the easy target. And once they find it, it doesn't matter, right? Whether you are transit, whether you're aerospace, whether you're defense or you are like a mom and pop shop. I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he said that they are investing as a a security vendor. They are really growing. And uh, there's a big demand from this car wash. Like why would car wash need security? They make millions of dollars and they have this credit card processing machines and they have response to these liabilities and regulations, like for example, being complied with PCI. So they are investing in security. I remember traveling on the plane and one of the guys next sitting next to me is the CEO of a manufacturing company and I asked him, so what do you do about cyber security? He said, like, we don't care. I said, why don't you care? Like, they're nothing to steal. We just have a server. There's some old design. They're all in the paper. Even if they wipe out all the servers, we'll just put it back on a USB and just do that. But do you realize it's not only the risk of your data getting wiped out, but also these bad guys can be using your computer and servers to leverage and launch attacks on other servers.
2: And that'll be a cost to you, right? Again, going back to the idea that you said that long tail of remediation, that's legal fees, that's IT fees. Potentially, it could be uh, regulatory fees as well, depending on the nature of what the outcomes are. And so we, again, we go into this, this is our perspective on cyber resilience.
3: And and uh, Richard and credibility, yep. right? You tend to lose big time. I mean, we had an attack in Oakland. It's really severely affected the credibility of Oakland city to operate uh, securely and efficiently because it disrupted their operation for days.
2: Yep. And um, you can monetize those losses. What is the actual value at risk we need to protect? That's what we're thinking about when it comes to cyber resilience. How do you build a strategy and plan that protects our business, but protects our shareholders,
3: When you guys are proactively monitoring and watching the publicly exposed devices or servers and applications, it's constantly helping us to also uh, stay on top and kind of forces us to really prioritize those risks. Let's say you guys come in and it's like, hey, there's a big risk on this server application. We might have seen it too, but when you have a partner working with you constantly on an ongoing basis, it adds a significant value, and it has definitely helped us reduce our attacks surface a significantly.
1: This success didn't happen because they decided they wanted to put more controls in against ransomware. It was successful because AC Transit shifted their security strategy from general threats to where their business value existed. Travis shares how this shift in business objective helped another client, too.
0: We had a client. They purchased insurance because their, their main threat perceived was ransomware. So everything they did was under the guise of ransomware prevention, ransomware response. When we actually got in there and we talked to the client, found out what their, what their real or their true value at risk was. And it wasn't a ransomware scenario. They had enough uh, manual operations, enough safety stock to maintain uh, operational integrity for six plus months. There would be no Preachable disruption to their business, no significant revenue loss as a result of a ransomware incident. But instead, we found they had a data problem. Um, They were storing data in multiple locations uh, excessively, which created a larger footprint for which uh, data could be exposed and therefore a privacy related loss could occur. So by really taking that step back and not focusing on controls or the way that other insurance uh, carriers or, or the insurance industry has approached procuring insurance, but Talking to the client, engaging with them, discussing their true value at risk, Uh, we were able to redirect their uh, prioritization and work with them uh, to make sure that their true value at risk was addressed, uh, quantified, and that action was taken upon uh, their risks in a meaningful way through that quantified cyber action place. So starting at value at risk changed the complete uh, nature of the relationship and the question for the better.
2: So they were taking almost like a threat first approach, right? Like, oh, everyone is worried about ransomware. In this case, you said what they did is like looking at the planes coming back with holes. Oh, everyone's worried about ransomware. We should go ahead and invest a lot of money in that because of reasons. And what you guys found out is, well, you have this other area of of risk. You're shoveling out, you know, whatever PII, PHI, whatever it is this business does out to the nether regions, and that's your biggest risk, we should redirect towards that. Did I summarize that well?
0: Yeah, you said that extremely well. It's okay. really trying to find those critical resources uh, that would make the large impact or the, the critical assets to really protect um, at the end, end of the day, right? It, uh, your bullet hole analogy is apt. The industry was targeting everything instead of those engines yeah. uh, that really make the difference. And what we did was identified what their engines actually are so that we could therefore better protect those.
2: I'd have to imagine a board member, an investor, or any other non-security leader listening to this going, are you meaning to tell me that our security teams or people aren't thinking this way, meaning they're not looking at the actual risk?
0: My response to that is these security practitioners are so busy firefighting. Um, They're trying to put out the fires that spout up in in front of them, but sometimes taking a step back and taking that strategic approach, uh, it's it's resource intensive. It's, It's a really... It's a fundamental change to the way security has operated. The security industry operates off of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or what we call FUD. There's a big boogeyman out there who's going to get you. You don't really think about him. Buy our security tool because we will be your end-all be-all. And soon enough, you have hundreds or thousands of companies saying this. Uh, There's so much uncertainty out there, so much confusion for your security practitioner. All they know is there are many, many threats out there, and I need to solve all of them. Um, So instead, our approach is, there are threats out there. Yes, we can understand what those are. We can understand what is most impactful to your business and what is most meaningful to you and target those specifically. Again, it's not that you need to be the end-all to be-all or to have 100% coverage in the bullet hole example that we used before. Uh, But what are those key areas that are most important to protect? That way you can be operationally efficient, economically efficient, and strategic in your approach instead of this broad firefighting effort that treats all fires equally.
1: What businesses care about is staying in business and staying financially sound. It just makes so much sense to start with the potential financial impact of a cyber attack and working backwards from there to make sure that that's not too devastating.
2: So when we emphasize focusing on your value at risk or starting with value at risk, really what we mean is you need to focus on what your business stands to lose. You have limited resources. We always have limited resources. And the risks can seem ominous. The questions are, where do you start? You need to start where you could lose data, where your business could become unavailable, where there could be, let's say, wire fraud, or extortion, or maybe even brand impact. We need to start there. And we need to turn that actually into whole distributions of plausible losses. Of course, we're insurance, we think that way, but that's the strategy a CISO needs to take. And that's how we need to communicate to the board as well. We invest in controls in light of what the business stands to lose. We look at the planes that didn't make it back, we look at where the holes were, the pilots and the engines, where the actual value at risk is. We don't look at the whole environment and say, oh, we're going to patch every single hole and fix every single problem. While that's admirable, you're spreading way too little butter on way too much bread. And what'll happen is you're gonna spend a lot of money, generate a lot of effort, and probably get limited returns and probably have a breach either way and potentially be found negligent in the process. So this is why we always wanna start with focusing on the value at risk.
1: Thank you to Taj Jalali and Travis Wong for their time, expertise, and valuable insights, and to our production team at Come Alive Creative.
2: And thank you for listening.
1: Follow the Building Cyber Resilience podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. We'll catch you on the next show.